0: Welcome to the Geek Sweat podcast. We We watch watch films films to save you hassle. hassle. It's another podcast with a filmmaking twist just for you. I am TJ and we will be bringing you hot topics in the film industry, inspiration interviews with IMDb listed filmmakers, reviews on online series as a stream, trailer talk on upcoming feature films, and cult TV perspectives on classic shows worth revisiting. We are the film and filmmakers podcast. We're available on 14 different platforms. Um, One of them is including Spotify, another one including Stitcher, and another one is including Castbox, and there's a few other platforms you can find us on. Uh, Today we are going to be bringing you a Cult TV episode, but we're going to flip the script and go off Doctor Who and go back to our Cult TV retrospectives, and today our retrospective host will be King Dom. Hello. Uh, We're also being co-hosted today by MKH. Hello. And we're also joined and admirably recorded by Giovanni. Hello. I am your co-host, Trevor, and I'm going to hand over the reins to King Don to tell us what we're going to talk about today.
1: Thanks, Trev. So today we're talking about Red Dwarf, which is the cult comedy. It showed on BBC Two from 1988 to 1999 for eight seasons, and then it was off air for ten years. It began again on Dave, the British TV channel Dave, as one of their first new commissions as opposed to repeats on 2009, and it's run for a further four seasons until the present day with another season on Dave rumoured for later this year. So very long running show. The writers initially were Rob Grant and Doug Naylor. um, And they were obviously two people, although they were known collectively as Grant Naylor. That was their pseudonym. Okay. And they also wrote four books Two together with the Grant Naylor pseudonym, and two separately: um, one by Rob Grant, one by Doug Naylor.
0: So, did they write a lot of stuff together then? Because uh, it um, sounds like they were like a, a Sherlock— Holmes, not, I don't want to say Sherlock Holmes. They, it sounds like they were Lennon McCartney duo.
1: Um, well, yeah. Prior to Red Dwarf, they wrote um, other comedies together. Um, Spitting Image was one. They wrote sketches for Spitting Image. Oh, wow. And they also wrote um, two comedy shows on BBC Radio 4. One was called Cliché, and then there was a sequel called Son of Cliché. And that gave rise to a sketch, a recurring sketch, called Dave Hollister, Space Cadet. And that was what became Red Dwarf eventually.
0: Okay. Because Dave Hollister is that... The character that ends up being played by Craig Charles.
1: Right, yeah. Initially, the character was called Dave Hollister. They wanted a kind of everyman name, but um, they chose an everyman name so well, there was a famous footballer called Dave Hollister.
0: Oh, wow. Who did he play for?
1: Um, I don't know. It was a long time ago. I'll find out. But he was a Welsh international as well. I remember that. Goalkeeper.
0: I can see that being a copyright nightmare with the uh, Welsh FA.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, the Welsh FA, they're just over everything. I mean, you know, they rejected my sitcom, Gareth Bale, Space Ranger.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, apparently he was born in 1968, this Dave Hollister. Yeah, but, and um, let's
1: not talk about Ryan Giggs, Merciless Assassin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's
2: definitely a lady killer.
0: is he the wife assassin? Huh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <Old> brother. <laughs> <laughs> um... So uh, how many episodes in a season w- w- were they running back then? Um, six episodes. Um, oh, nearly every
1: season has six episodes. I believe seasons seven and eight had eight episodes. Mm. Then there was a three-episode special on Dave. And then for the subsequent seasons, they've reverted to six episodes. So That's real 73 mix. episodes in all. Wow. But majority of episodes, um, sorry, majority of seasons have
2: got six episodes and this is a 30 minute episode so we we t- Well 25 minutes. Oh okay, yeah.
0: Cuz I'm looking at the timeline of Red Dwarf and it's like like you said earlier season 1 and 2 straight out of the box in 1988 then the next year you got season 3 then there's a bit of a break then you got 91 to 93 back to back season 4 5 and 6 and then there's another break so do you think they BBC were like te- also testing the loyalty of their fans with these kind of intermissions?
1: I think the reason for the long intermission between um, series four and was it series four and five or series no series, series six. six and seven yeah um, was because by that point they were all successful, so they were all going off and doing other things. Okay but I mean what was certain was um, like when it was made, um, the second season was already commissioned before the first one was broadcast wow. it was like killing Eve. okay you know, they kind of knew that they might have a hit on their hands. So both seasons aired in 1988 and season two followed almost immediately after season one.
0: Because one of the successes that Craig Charles had, he went and did Robot Wars, the TV series, didn't he? He did, yeah. And he went into Coronation Street. And I think, uh, well, that was like years later. But um, I think, who's this other guy? Robot Wars, I
2: think. Robot Wars was around the same time as Coronation Street.
0: No, I think he was doing Robot Wars before. Okay. Uh, but, um, and, uh, what is it? Uh, Chris Barry had. Chris Barry um, went and did British The British Empire. Empire. Yeah.
1: And for one of the seasons, he actually divided his time between The British Empire and Red Dwarf. So there's one season where he's only in half the episodes. Oh, wow. But he's a hologram, so, you know, that was
2: easy to explain. <laughs> no, he's he's offline. <laughs> um, do, do you think. So we can see there that there's gaps between certain series. Do, do you think we live now in britain in in a americanization of tv shows where we expect back to back to back to back uh series uh churning out as opposed to i know from when i used to watch a lot of bbc shows like bottom and some other ones they weren't doing back to back series shows do you think it is uh America creeping into our our TV culture that we expect back to back possibly i mean i think
1: um netflix has been a big influence on tv mm. even like tv like the bbc like even doctor who has become somewhat netflixy yeah, with its yeah. visual look and yeah. its season long story arcs and the whole approach
2: yeah okay
1: so yeah in that respect But yeah, to get back to um, Red Dwarf, um, it obviously began in 1988 and season seven arrived in 1997. But I would say between about 1990 and 1993, it was absolutely phenomenal. It was probably, not probably, it was the BBC's most successful program in terms of worldwide syndication. And it was like a pop culture phenomena as well. You know, the books were number one bestsellers. You know, you would see people walking around wearing T-shirts that said "Smeghead," mm, and yeah. kids were using that as an insult. Yeah, I definitely was. And the teachers was. didn't
0: understand what it was about.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I can tell you, like, um, like a personal, like, experience, because um, when I was thirteen, um, I went on a family holiday mm. to Centre Parks, and it was my family and. Um, The family of um, two of my friends from school, Vince and Keith, who were brothers, and at the start of the holiday, Vince lent me his copy of the first Red Dwarf book, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers. And I basically spent the next three days reading that book, you know, Mm. just having breaks for bathroom breaks and eating breaks, and Vince, meanwhile, was reading the sequel, Better (laughs) Than Life. So our families must have thought, oh, wow, you know, that was money well spent to take them to centre parks.
2: And we were literally reading the books. I have a question. Yeah. What do you think uh, Red Dwarf did to diversity hires? That's a good question. So I don't know if you know
1: how Craig Charles became involved. No, I don't. So um, the writers, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor and the producer, Mm. actually sent the script to Craig Charles, but it wasn't for him to consider the part. He was already known as uh, a performance poet and TV personality. And they wanted to ask him, as a black man, Mm. if he found the character of the cat racist. So that's how the script found its way to him.
2: Oh, wow. That's and quite funny.
1: he replied, no, he didn't think the cat was racist. He thought it was cool. And yeah, by the yeah. way, can I play Lister? Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. I was so
1: because of that, um, Red Dwarf was, at the time, one of the few sitcoms to have two black leads out that's of the I'm original saying, look, three
2: what, leads. What, what, uh, that's what I'm trying to say. What else out there had two black male leads in there? Especially a sitcom. I can't think of any on top of my head.
1: Yeah, so in a way, it was... um, I guess you could say it was a pioneering show. Oh, definitely. It's like lots of people didn't notice. I mean, I kind of liken it to the Black Mirror episode, San Junipero, Mm. which is like a lesbian romance between a black woman and a quadriplegic woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like the most politically correct story ever, but no one notices. It's just a great love story. Yeah,
2: it's just a great... It just just speaks to great storytelling where you're not constantly hit over the head with it. Um, And Red Dwarf, it was just a funny sitcom. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, And the thing is, there's like a... Craig Charles apparently before he was on Red Dwarf he was on a radio play with Stephen Burkhoff's version of Macbeth as well apparently. So well he, like did, a, he, he did he did a few things,
1: a but he was best known as a performance poet. Yeah. Um, Chris Barry who played um, who plays because mm. it's still going yeah. Rimmer was best known as an impressionist, mm. and then of course there was Danny John-Jules as Cat who was best known as a dancer. So none of the original three had that much experience as actors.
0: I want which, to ask you a question, though, because going back to the books, would, would you say that Red Dwarf, as a new project, started to build the same standing as perhaps, like, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Because that was, like, famously... I'm not sure if that was books before, if it got converted to books. It was after a book, then
1: it was a radio show, then it was the TV show. Yeah,
0: and so for... Red Dwarf, that was a TV show before it became a book. right.
1: I think in some ways the books kind of legitimised it as a cultural phenomenon. And, I mean, for me, I think the first two books, Infinity Welcomes Careful Drivers and Mm. Better Than Life, do the premise and the backstory better Mm. than season one of Mm. Red Dwarf. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, there are reasons for that. I think, obviously, there were the budget constraints. Yeah. So they couldn't really do justice to the epic premise and then the fact that the first three were experienced actor inexperienced actors at yeah. the start i mean they improved really quickly yeah they're better actors in season two than they are in season one
0: because i was building up the chemistry yeah and okay.
1: season two was like just a few months after season one but sure. i mean they're definitely more polished and just the acting improved definitely um, and
0: one, one another thing i wanted to mention is like because science fiction and comedy I don't think was being mixed as clearly as what Red Dwarf was doing. And um, it seems like Red Dwarf, it's it's opened up to like really big things. Because even if you remember the introduction, or I think it's the outro, you're really, um, it's about scanning over this spaceship and then suddenly going into this like black hole in the outro. And this um story or these characters they really explore the idea of loneliness and isolation in space i mean what do you think about that
1: yeah in some ways the premise is quite dark but then Mm. at the same time it's the it's quite upbeat as well a Mm. lot of it a lot of the comedy is quite broad yeah you know there are some really slapstick moments yeah um, but at the same time, there are, like, one or two reflective moments. Yeah. I mean, especially between Craig Charles, who was definitely the most improved actor, yeah. and um, Chris Barry. They, yeah. From season two onwards, there are some moments where they're having, like, kind of reflective yeah. conversations. There's, like, an episode, the Better Than Life episode, at mm. the beginning of season two, which begins with Rimmer finding out that his father's died.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: So they they found a way to, you know, move between the more downbeat or less comedic elements and some really broad comedy. So there was a nice mix. Yeah. And then the sci-fi element, they kind of found a sweet spot between science fiction tropes and sitcom tropes. Mm. For example, made-up language. Yeah. Like, you know, they had the made-up swear words like smeg and gimboid that became, you know, playground taunts. But at the same time, in science fiction, there's a tradition of made-up words, like, you know, Isaac Asimov stories. The characters would always exclaim things instead of using swear words. Yeah. And I believe Asimov wanted to avoid any references to religion. So his characters never said damn or hell or anything. Something which was lost when they made iRobot with Will Smith.
0: (laughs) But there's an interesting thing about the, um, the insult Smeg, because it's actually Crichton, the robot's first insult that he can say out loud, which I think is directed at Rimmer to kind of break his uh, programming. Isn't it?
1: I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. When he rebels. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean obviously I mean Smeg is a stand-in for, you mm-hmm. know, the swear words that they couldn't use in a BBC sitcom. Yeah. But at the same time it's it's a funny sounding word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's one of the points where the constraints of the show yeah. are an advantage.
0: Because I think the thing the problem about the it's so not problem, but Crichton's problem about being robot and uh, being tuned in is like watching him struggle to push the word out of his programming as he's trying to do his first insult. And he ends up saying all different versions and intonations of the word smeg, which I thought was pretty funny. But um, going back to the dark stuff, um, the camaraderie is so tight between these four. It's like, it's easy to forget that Lister is not just the last human on the spaceship, but he's possibly the last human on earth because he ends up going into like cryostasis as punishment for the, um, for, for bringing a quarantine cat on, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So the backstory, basically, like you said, um, he's the lowest ranked person on the mining ship, the red dwarf, Mm. And Rimmer is actually the second lowest ranked person, although he acts like he's the boss. Yeah. Which is his curse and his tragedy.
0: Yeah, which is kind of like, um, they've kind of picked up on that in um, the IT crowd, haven't they? They, There's that kind of free low ranking officers and it's like big behemoth of an organisation.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great sitcom trope, but it's also a great sci-fi trope. Yeah, yeah. So that's the premise. And then... Lister brings on his cat who's pregnant and the cat goes in the hold. Yeah. Lister, Lister is in stasis for mm. three million years Yeah, yeah. and the rest of the crew is wiped out by this radiation leak. Yeah. And meanwhile, the cat evolves into this life form known yeah. as the cat.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think it's a beautiful story when the cat has to explain to list the like the life forms that existed before it and the whole religious concept behind its uh, I mean, that's species. brilliant. Have
1: you read the book?
0: I haven't read the book. I've only ever watched the series.
1: No. I mean, the episode is good, but yeah. the book is better. More I mean, detail. for me, I actually read the first two books and, and I'd seen from season three. Yeah, so yeah. for me, the books were kind of like season one and season two. Yeah, yeah. And then I went back and saw them.
0: So what would you say is the big difference between the book and a series? Is it, does the book like layer in more ground rules perhaps it,
1: yeah I mean it layers in more ground rules you get the whole you get the whole story before they even get to the ship
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: and obviously it just feels more epic like yeah. you know it describes the six mile long ship in detail so you okay. don't have to
0: imagine imagine the
1: yeah it so it kind of paints a picture of everything so yeah. I mean I definitely recommend reading the books especially if you like yeah the show but yeah I mean if you like the show watch it from the beginning sure but you can kind of pick it up at any point you know from season two season three
0: I'll be honest I've gone into a dark space with Red Dwarf because now I'm starting to think like what if after the three million years of being in stasis he's had like a psychotic break and like this is He's Because the, the other characters are technically not real because it's a cat that talks, a hologram and a robot, which has got um, free will, essentially, isn't it? Which is kind of like all anti kind of cipher.
1: So you think it could all be in Lister's head?
0: Well, it's been proposed a couple of times because sometimes we've had the kind of, um, he's had a couple of episodes where he's realised that he's in a computer game or simulation as well, hasn't he?
1: Yeah, the first one was Better Than Life, and then there's another one, I think it's in season seven, called Gunman of the Apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe? I mean, I think Craig Charles is good at suggesting kind of reflection or melancholy, and like then snapping back to the comedy, which is something he's really improved at.
0: Mm. I mean, have you got any fan theories yourself on Red Wolf?
1: Um... I think the one you just mentioned is possibly the most plausible, but, I mean, I don't know if that's what they intended. I mean, I, I don't know if they, the creators, Grant and Naylor, really wanted it to be that dark. I don't know.
0: Mm. I mean, I, I think I just like it because it's open to that suggestion as well because there's so many episodes that have gone in different directions, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say the season one episode, mm. the the very first episode of season one. Yeah. Is quite dark. Yes. Lister wakes up, and Holly, the computer, is just saying, "Dave, everyone's dead."
0: Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, another, and w- that's funny. Yeah, that's a joke.
0: Yeah, I mean, because even um uh, the computer Holly changes gender halfway through the um series, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, it was um, um, stand-up comedian called Norman Lovett in mm. seasons one and two. Yeah. And um it became Hattie Hayridge, who's another stand-up comedian, female stand-up comedian, from seasons three to five. And then, confusingly, it reverted to Norman Lovett. Mm. But the explanation was that um, Holly was in love with this other computer, so he changed his form to look like her. Okay. That's the explanation. Cool. So, yeah. um, What else could I say? Just picking up random elements. Um, The character names, apparently... um two of the names were based on um, school friends and school bullies that um, Grant and Naylor knew. That's Lister and Rimmer. Although there is an irony that um, Lister, who has really bad personal hygiene, is called after the pioneer of antiseptic medicine. (laughs) And also Rimmer is kind of an obviously unfortunate name.
2: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Is he still called Rimmer today? He's still called... The character is called Rimmer. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's so funny. But apparently,
1: like, Rimmer was a school bully.
2: I can't make. Oh, Oh, that's such an unfortunate name.
1: Rimmer doing the bullying. Mm. Innocent times. (laughs)
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, boy.
1: And then there's Crichton, who's named after the play The Admirable Crichton by J.M. Barry, who also wrote Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. Although I think they might have also had... In the back of their mind, the writer Michael Crichton who wrote Westworld.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: So I think amazing crossover. Be, yeah. yeah.
0: A lot of references there then.
1: No? Yeah, there are, you know, there are like proper science fiction references. And then the musical theme is by a composer called Howard Goodall, yeah. who also wrote the theme for Mr. Bean.
0: Yeah, because when you listen to the lyrics of that, it's um it's very dark. I think it's it's cold outside, there's no kind of atmosphere, I'm all alone, more or less. Let me yeah, fly, the, fly away from here.
1: But then it's a really upbeat tune. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. think good- it. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I think Howard Goodall was good at writing counterintuitive theme tunes because yeah. you wouldn't necessarily have that song for a science fiction show. Yeah, yeah. And it's like Mr Bean. You wouldn't necessarily have like a piece of choral music for slapstick comedy. Sure. But it works. yeah. And also the um like the opening riff like doo do 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 yeah. is a direct quote from the David Bowie song Loving the Alien. Yeah.
0: But it's also it also makes it sound like a ship being powered up as well before it flies off, I suppose.
1: Well yeah, there's that yeah. as well. But I mean the David Bowie reference is unmistakable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And how a apparently is a David Bowie fan. And oh, wow. he even like was involved in curating the David Bowie exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum. So mm. yeah. Little digression there. So, um, what else haven't we touched on yet? Um the casting. Um it's hard to imagine anyone else, but um at one point they considered Alfred Molina and um
0: Oh wow, the guy who played um dr octopus in yeah Toby most McGuire's famously Spider-Man.
1: among many many other things El
0: Cid as well the tv yeah. series yeah
1: and alan rickman
0: has he played alan rickman who's he? they considered
1: play? alan rickman as rimmer
0: oh wow that would have been crazy
2: it would have been crazy and
0: what do you think of that mkh
2: um it, it was this was this before Die Hard?
1: This was yeah, um, 1988, so it yeah. was
2: like the same year as Die Hard. Because did did Alan Rickman, did he do any series? Because I know Die Hard was his first film, but did he do any series before then? Because he, he was known for stage, wasn't he? He but was I, better I,
1: known as a stage actor. Yeah, but that's what I I, I think thought. their thinking was that Alfred Molina and Alan Rickman would go on to have big careers. And I they thought that Rimmer. they might not come back. So that was the reason why they didn't cast them. Oh, But I could see him as Rimmer. Oh, yeah, you could totally see
0: it. I mean, Alan Rickman had played, oh, that was 96. Um, Yeah, Die Hard was 88. He was in a TV series called Girls on Top, which is a comedy, as I remember it, with Ruby Wax and Dawn French. Uh, But, yeah, he was just moving out from TV uh, shows into features. So, yeah, that sounds like a really big turning point because he did January Man Straight after that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, they obviously knew he was destined for big things. Yeah, yeah. Um, The director of most of the early episodes was Ed Bye, who also directed Bottom. Okay, cool. love Bottom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's weird because the credits for Bottom, the end credits are really... Are reminiscent. Reminiscent of that. Yeah, definitely. And actually, when I see... The name Ed By, I actually see the silhouette of Aid Emmonsen, like wiggling yeah, his hands yeah, exactly. at the end yeah. of the bottom credits. Uh,
0: yeah. yeah. So, do you have a favourite episode of uh, Red Dwarf at all?
1: Um. Good question. Uh, there's an episode in season three called Marooned, which is almost a bottle episode mm. because um, it's got Lister and Rimmer holed up on one of the um. Like crafts, not the main red dwarf on their own, and they're literally marooned on a planet with their food running out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a really good episode because it's almost a two hander, yeah, and it's got more of the kind of reflective mode that they did so well by that point.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, like one of my favorite episodes is um Legion, and I think that was out in 1993, so I'm not sure if that was like season four or five. But um, I'll, I'll read the summary. If Starbug is taken over by a tractor beam which takes them to deep space in a space station where the crew discover a legion, life form conceived from an experiment by famous scientists, only to learn that legion is composed from the minds of each member of the crew and he won't allow them to leave and continue the search for a dwarf. And I think this was like a really good episode because like in most science fiction, shows there's always like they're on the main ship the enterprise or the millennium falcon Mm -hmm. or whatever the spaceship is but this is a point where they actually lose contact with the main ship and they're actually just in a buggy yeah now and so now things have got kind of worse but they're still coping with it but the episode kind of reminds me of um how closely connected they are and they kind of the the legion episode kind of almost has to remind each character how uh, closely bonded they are as well, even though they have to break that bond to get away from what is essentially their nemesis, which is essentially themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's deep, but it's Mm. there. It Mm -hmm. is there. Yeah, it's a good call. Yeah, I mean, I guess we've touched on most of the um, aspects of the show. Um, Another person to mention is the production designer from season three, he was called Mel Bibby and um, his previous job was working on Rod Hull's Pink Windmill. He worked in children's TV and he had a very like bright aesthetic, which improved the look of the show no end after the first two seasons.
0: Yeah. So are there any like um, like uh, pivotal moments, do you think, in your understanding of sci-fi, where you probably thought to yourself, you know what, Red Dwarf is probably the best science fiction I've ever seen or ever going to see above. Let's say, I don't know, a Doctor Who, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Blake 7, Star Trek. Was there any moment for you where you said... Well, probably when I was 13 a... and yeah. reading the books okay. and seeing
1: season three, which might be the best season.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah, at that point, mm. that was... I mean, it was better than Doctor Who at that point, definitely.
0: And so what do you think is the difference between the emergence of Red Wolf and the emergence of Doctor Who? Because Doctor Who had like some really good writers and they had the props and set design. What do you think Red Wolf was doing, or perhaps Doug Naylor and Rob Grant, what were they doing differently that made it a success, do you think?
1: I think it was the mixture of like really inventive concepts like the Legion concept, Mm. like combined with poignancy, because they did have the camaraderie, but also some good jokes. And they weren't scared of like really broad jokes as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like slapstick moments. Yeah. Like, you know, Crichton's groinal attachments.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: You know, they could go there, but they could also do stuff that was deeper as well.
0: I mean... Malachi, as a comedian or stand-up comedian, what do you think of the joke palette as it were that Red Wolf created?
2: I haven't seen it, so I can't really speak through it. Yeah. Because I'm I'm the layman on this.
0: But you yeah. have seen a couple of episodes.
2: Yeah, no, um, I think it's not the traditional uh set up punchline that stand-up comedians use. Yeah. It's definitely sitcommy. Yeah. Uh definitely written in a style that any actors can just come along and pick it up. You don't have to have a comedic background. I mean, to you, does it feel like there might have been a bit of, like,
0: this would really suit, like, an improv group to actually come on and say, here's the scene, you're in a sci-fi situation, and... This no, no, nah, because
2: I think the, the aesthetics of the show did yeah. a lot of the talking for it. Okay. And I think, like, you, like Dom's already mentioned, you... you, you you associate certain things with red dwarf whether it's the smeg head, or the, yeah. or the physical comedy, or, or, or cat doing something really cat-like. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that, it, yes, it's it, it's it's a sitcom. It's it's traditional. But you think it's unique to itself? Yeah, absolutely. I, although it does remind me a lot of Bottom, even though Bottom. Is obviously for a more yeah. adult. Because I think Bottom was 15. I think this is a 12 rating. Yeah. I think it is. So, yeah, it's, it's more mature.
1: Yeah. But it's got the same kind of physical comedy. Exactly. And the fact that you can see they're playing off an audience. Yeah. yeah.
2: And I think the only difference is that Bottom used to say shit a lot oh, yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. It's more sexual. Yeah, exactly. It's endo- more sexual in, in, in your enders. So, I, but yeah, no. that it, can, Those are the two things that I see similar.
0: Can I ask you one thing? Because I... I'm not sure if you would have remembered this, but there was a time when there was rumours that Johnny Depp was going to do like a film version of Red Dwarf, and I think as you've seen, as we've seen now, a lot of Amer, a lot of British comedies have been converted to American comedies. Was there any issue, do you think, about Red Dwarf ever becoming successful over the states or getting remade or anything like that?
1: Um, well, I know there was. Um, they did two pilot episodes for US remake of Red Dwarf. Mm. Um, I've seen one of them on YouTube and it's terrible. Okay. So no surprise at all, that didn't get picked up.
0: Is the IT crowd US pilot terrible?
1: I think so. I mean, it's down there for sure. Yeah, it is not great. It is not great. Later on, um, I think it was um, Doug Naylor who wanted to... What did he want to write? He wanted to write a feature film based on Red Dwarf. Okay. Um, But the producers kept wanting to cast other people other than the um, original cast. The original cast, so that's why it didn't happen.
0: Ah, that's a real shame, man. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, looking at Red Dwarf, if you kept the original cast, there seems to be like a lot of room for like super famous cameos, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, it could be really good. I mean, it might still happen, although hmm. it will have to happen soon because yeah, they, they are, are getting, getting a bit old. Yeah. yeah, they are getting on. I mean, even Crichton looks old. I yeah. don't know how that's possible under latex, but he does. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're sorry, Crichton. But the, um, Okay, so who would you recommend this show to? Who? What type of fan or uh, TV person would be interested in this?
1: Well, I think it's um, Appeal goes beyond traditional science fiction fans definitely i mean it was the most popular show on bbc2 mm. and then it was practically brought back by like fan power when it was repeated on dave to the point that dave decided to make new episodes okay so um sitcom fans anyone really who enjoys a good comedy Um, what else can I say? Um, although some of the latter seasons are not great, so I wouldn't wholeheartedly recommend season eight or season nine or the first episode on Dave, first season on Dave.
0: So the Dave seasons are kind of a bit iffy?
1: The Dave seasons are a bit iffy, um, especially the first one, Back to Earth. Sure. Um... 10, 11, and 12 are slightly better, although I wouldn't recommend them before the original BBC ones. Yeah. I mean, the real sweet spot was episodes three to five. Okay. Possibly um, season two as well. That's where it started picking up. Yeah. And the first one is good, but it's not as good as those ones that immediately followed.
0: Sure. Okay. So are we landing a plane on this one? Um, We're
1: landing the Starbug.
0: Oh, landing the Starbug, yeah. Until we can get back onto the Red Dwarf again. But yeah, uh, so MKH, based on um, what Dom's informed us about, do you think this is a series worth invested in or a show worth investing in?
2: Any show that shares the same director as any episode of Bottom, I'm down for.
0: Okay, cool. I mean, um, listening to what Dom said today... I think I might actually search out episodes, uh, so seasons three to five. So are they on BBC iPlayer now or we would have to go Netflix? Um,
1: they're on Netflix. You can see them all, on Netflix. Oh, Season, wow. the original BBC seasons one to eight.
0: Well, Netflix has just shown everything there, not it?
1: Yeah. And then um, obviously you can, I think there's some kind of Dave on demand. You can see the Dave episodes on that cool, if cool, you cool want it. to. Nice. And there are also some cuts, some fan-made cuts of the Dave episodes on YouTube as well
0: cool cool alright well that was King talking about Red Dwarf um, available previously on BBC now on Netflix so thank you King for sharing the mic with us today
2: you are welcome as always
0: uh, thank you MKH for your insight
2: I've been thoroughly educated
0: And uh, thank you again, Giovanni, uh, for helping us get some clean, clear sound in this spacious room. Hi, bye. I've been your co-host, Trevor, and you've been listening to Geek Sweat. This has been Cult TV, episode number... 63. And uh, you've been... 63! Exactly. Uh, you've, been, you've been listening to... Oh, just me then. Yeah. Awkward. Well, I'll, I'll do my finger clapping. I'm sure a lot of people will pick that up. But the, um, the... Don't do that. <laughs> oh, this is the first time I've done it already. Um, so we'll be back with um, Doctor Who in episode 68. But if you want to find out more about Geek Sweat online, uh, please follow us or find us through the handle at gweksweat on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. If you do find us on Twitter, you have to do at Geek Sweat with an underscore afterwards. And you can find us on many podcast platforms under Geek Sweat, gweksweat. That was Cult TV. You've been listening to Geek Sweat. Thank you. Over and out.